Hello, everybody. Welcome in again to the Sports Plus podcast. We got a full house in the podcast room here today. We got Andy Moeller, Mod Hicks, and the return of Mike Bush to the podcast. We're all very excited. Round yes, I'm sure you are. Yes. <laughs> we, yes. Got, we got a lot to get to, so let's jump right in. First, let's talk blues because I'm still thinking about this past weekend. Uh, just a great weekend for hockey in St. Louis. It really just a continuation of the last year, but even more than the last year of just excitement that the Blues have brought to town. Just right off the top, what was everybody's like favorite moment? What stuck out to them this weekend? Well, just uh, our vantage point where we were doing our live reports from uh, Union Station and looking down over the fanfare, it was amazing see, to see the hours-long line of people wanting to get in to take their picture with the Stanley Cup for those that you know weren't at the parade last summer and and did get a chance to to see it. it it to me that luster that we have from the Stanley Cup you never know how long these things are going to last but man it is still lasting i heard it was it's like still 5 hours it was like 5 hours on saturday and sunday i yeah, think yeah it, it was it, it was at least 4 hours and and people were fine with it yeah <laughs> and and i actually saw on social media someone did a, a marriage proposal in front of the stanley cup really? oh really wow. <laughs> oh man i wish that. we would have seen that yeah <laughs> my i mean there's just a ton of great moments i think my favorite was Matthew Kachuk during the skills challenge, taking off his Calgary jersey with the Yachty jersey. That was pretty awesome. And all the Kachuks. Keith was my favorite guy growing up. So seeing all the Kachuks there together, repping St. Louis, I think that was my favorite moment. The place went nuts, too. You know, I I don't I can't claim to have paid close attention to the skills competitions in the past years. But the one thing about about this one is it was so cool how they brought in Keith Kachuk. Brett Hull, Al McKinnis, you know, all the all these guys and made them, and you know, kind of seam, seamlessly got them into yeah. it. Uh, another great moment was Layla introducing the Blues All-Stars, and she did it like she does everything else so sensationally. I mean, she could be the PA announcer over she there. Is She's so, so poised. Good. It's I have unbelievable. My, I have to watch my back. She could probably take my job in like three years. <laughs> She's coming for Frank's job. She's hopping over you and going for Frank's job. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, the all-blues line in the actual game was fun. Brew, they kind of joked about that all, all week leading up to that. He knew he – Petrangelo said, you you have one job, you know. You're supposed to start us. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um the crowd initially cheering for Patrick Kane when the Central scored and then immediately realizing who it was and starting to <laughs> boo him and Kane putting his uh, hand up to his ear. Yeah, but that's great, too. <laughs> that yes, was it great. was. It, just, it, it was... just shows the passion of the rivalry. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Um, let's get uh, to the actual—well, actually, I said my favorite moment was the Kachucks, but my actual favorite moment— was tracking down Jenna Fisher after the game because no, that was my one. So tell me about that. That was my one goal the entire weekend. So Jenna Fisher, the St. Louis yes, who was on the office. who was an honorary captain along with John Hamm, Wayne Gretzky, and Brett Hull. Brett Hull, by the way, they mic'd him up. Classic. It, it's amazing. If you haven't heard it, we have a story online. Brett Hull mic'd up at the All-Star Game. You need to check it out. But Jenna Fisher was one of the honorary captains. And, I mean, we had talked to pretty much everybody that week. We we got Frank got Gretzky. Frank and I went out to Anheuser-Busch, got him. We got Brett Hull. We got everybody you could want, but hockey-wise. And so after the game, I'm like, I, I really, I'm just a huge Jenna Fisher fan, huge The Office fan. She's from St. Louis. She's got some good stories. 
I'm going to try and find her. So Ben Hockman from the Post-Dispatch had the same exact idea as me, and we're kind of standing there like, okay, where do we think she's at? So we're kind of going around down there. We see Wayne Gretzky. Oh, there's Wayne. We don't need Wayne Gretzky. So we keep looking for <laughs> Jenna. We don't need Wayne Gretzky. We find Jenna in the locker room uh, talking with some of the players after her turn as an honorary coach, and we just kind of stand we didn't want to bum rush her in the locker room, so we kind of stood out in the hallway and we're like, "Okay, here she comes, here she comes." And uh, and she was so nice, and I I used that old Channel Five here, Channel Five, because I just assumed like everybody else who grew up in the last fifty years, she watched KSDK growing up, and I was <laughs> I was right, and she was more than happy to give a few minutes, and she was pretty great. She said she hadn't met Brett Hull yet. And that was the one thing this weekend she wanted to do. So I pointed, I told her where she was, he was at because I had passed passed him a long time ago looking for her. And so I think they had a nice moment afterwards. Well, but that's nice. it was a lot of fun. <laughs> she, you know, she once came here when she was doing The Office. And we used to have a secretary's desk outside the news director's office. And just for some pictures, she sat at that <laughs> secretary's desk. And she was so nice and cooperative when she did that. She's a, she, she's a graduate of Nerings Hall. And my daughter went to Nerings Hall. And one year she was the uh, honorary chairman, I guess, of the, of the uh, uh, auction yeah. uh, there. And, and so got to talk to her a little bit and... and you know that was when the office was was popular, but it you know I don't think it had really become the phenomenon that it is now. Couldn't have been nicer. Yeah, it, it's more popular now. It is than, than oh, it ever yeah. ever was. Streaming because, service. Yeah, streaming services. All right, let's get to the actual blues team. Uh, that's enough uh, celebrity. <laughs> that's enough Hollywood <laughs> talk, I guess. Uh, so just our general thoughts heading into the stretch run. I mean, the Blues haven't looked great on the road as of late. They they won their first road game last night. Uh, of the month in Calgary. Uh, that is a cause for concern a little bit for me, not too much. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, Andy Ahmad and I were in here, and we literally couldn't find one thing wrong with the Blues. So yeah. there's not a whole lot to nitpick. But just coming down this stretch run, uh, hopefully they're healthy, and hopefully they can be playing their best right at the end there like they were last year. Yeah, you don't want to see them just kind of cruise by at this point because they know that they're one of the top teams in the Western Conference and the NHL for that matter. But you don't want to see them get complacent. And I think that's what we saw from head coach Craig Berube following the win last night. He said it was sloppy. It was ugly. He was not a fan of yeah, it. He, but it was two points, yeah. you know. So I think he expects more from this team. Yeah, He said he didn't have much to say about the game last night. Well, that was... To, to the media that was yeah. assembled there. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm sure he had a lot more things to say. I think in the he did. Room. Uh, hopefully the Blues can stay healthy. That's, I think, going to be the main key here. Because just when it looks like they're getting guys back with Pareko and Blay, they lose Steen and Sunquist, and now they're still down. And we don't know. Tarasenko's still probably right around playoff time. So, I mean, they, their depth has been real strong, but they can't afford to lose too big of pieces for, for an extended amount of time here. Mm-hmm. My, my biggest question here is the trading deadline is coming up eventually. What are they going to do with Jake Allen? Because... It, Statistically, he's been one of the best goaltenders in the entire league this year. Uh, you, the thought is you would like to go into the playoffs with two red-hot goalies, but if somebody just offers them something they can't refuse and to take his contract, I think they're going to think about it. I don't think you let him go at this point. I wouldn't no, either. Not, with, not the way he's playing this year. You never know what can happen to Bennington. And if you lose Bennington in the playoffs, then what? Yeah. You bring in one of these newcomers and you expect him to be the hero like Bennington was last year? I doubt that. Just because I think if they were like a middling like team, I would entertain it. But I mean, this team, <clears throat> excuse me, this team is set on repeating, and they want to be just full stock, and that includes two 
good goalies. So I think since they're just killing everybody, they're going to keep themselves where they are right Like now. you said, they have depth everywhere. Why would you let go of depth at the yeah. goalie position? To be the devil's advocate, I will say this. You'll never get more for Jake Allen than you'll get for him right now. Good point. True. All right, let's move on to the Cardinals because we're going to have some nice weather this weekend, and it's mm. going to make me start thinking about baseball. <laughs> uh, let's get to the the first thing here, the offense, which was the main topic of winter warm-up, the main topic of everybody for the last couple months. Uh, I, Mike, I think, is chomping oh, at the bits yeah. again. This is, this is the first time we've been able to talk since winter warm-up. Are are we really confident in what the Cardinals are going to trot out there on opening day? Well, tell me, offensively. Just, I'm just going to throw this question out there. Why would you be? This is. Are they better off right now than they were when they ended the season last year? Definitely not. And, <laughs> and what was the biggest problem last season? Now you know they were in the final four, so they were a pretty good team. But their biggest problem was scoring runs. Mm-hmm. And one of their top run producers no longer plays for the team. Mm-hmm. So how are they better off? And and are are we expecting Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas to Dylan be yeah. Ozuna or even be better than Ozuna? Or, you know, and Carlson, it, maybe he will be, you know, as good in the major leagues as he was in double A and, and the, the, the cup of coffee he had in triple A. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they're better off right now than they were, and that worries me. There's just too many maybes. That's right. But they're counting on Matt Carpenter bouncing back. They're cart- counting on Dexter Fowler at least being as good as he was last year, which, I mean, he was fine, but <laughs> he wasn't great. He was fine. He was fine. They're counting on 37-year-old Yadier Molina to maybe hit fifth. Uh, that's terrifying. Or clean I think. up. Or, or who's clean hitting up. fourth? I, right now, Paul DeYoung, I think, is is who they're thinking is going to hit fourth. Um, which, I mean, he's got the pop to do it, but he was so inconsistent at the end, second half of last year, you can't count on that either. Um, Man, you're making it really hard to get excited for baseball. Well, and right and what happens is if Paul DeYoung is your, is your cleanup hitter, you know, they're going to just pitch around Goldschmidt. I mean, he he won't see a freaking fastball yeah. all year long. Well, there is some good news, though. The only team that's got better in their division this offseason is the Reds, who've gotten a lot better. A lot better. Uh, but they still have – they were 16 games behind the Cardinals, I think. That's a big gap to make up if you're exactly the same as you were last year. So uh, I, the Cardinals are should be happy they're in the Central Division because it could be a lot worse. Well, the, the question I have then is, well, where are you setting your sights? Are you setting your sights to, hey, let's go out there and win the division? Or do you want to play for a championship? Yeah. If you want to create some excitement around here, don't you want to play for a championship? And like Andy said, and with the makeup of this roster, I don't see us beating the Astros or the Yankees, <laughs> you know, or the Dodgers for that matter. Or the, na- I or mean, the Nationals. Or, I mean, well, let's get to this. Uh, I, Mike hasn't been in here since we've had a couple Nolan Arenado conversations, and anytime he's mentioned in anything in St. Louis media, people have been losing their minds. What's your whole view on the Arenado trade situation? I mean, I would love to have Arenado. Do I think it's going to happen? I do not think it's going to happen, and um, I, I don't see, particularly after Bill Dewitt's comments uh, at the winter warmup, that uh, that they're they're even all that. I mean. I'm not saying they would turn down an opportunity, but they don't seem all that interested. And and yeah. for something like that, you've got to be really aggressive. Um, I mean, he would be the perfect piece to this puzzle to get them to where they where we all would like them to go. 
Um, but I don't. I just don't see it. DeWitt through through a lot of cold water he on sure on that. <laughs> Essentially saying, well, this is the team. We can't afford anything. And if we did, a lot of money would and, have and to listen, come off the books. You know, it's possible that you know Tyler O'Neill won't won't strike out as much, and we'll figure out a way. I mean, I one would think if he stays healthy that he's a guy who can hit you know thirty five home runs. Especially, would, in, I mean, there's. Backup second baseman hitting thirty home runs right. now in this the climate of the major leagues. Right. So and, and if he does, then all of a sudden he can be your cleanup hitter. Um, maybe Carlson's the real deal. Maybe he goes down to to uh, Memphis for a month and and he comes up and he, you know he's tearing it up again. I mean, like you said, it's all about maybes. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Arenado's not a maybe. It's Jack, just not going Jack Flaherty's about think. the only non-maybe I, I'm, yeah, I'm feeling yeah. confident about. <laughs> I mean, Tyler O'Neill definitely has potential. I've told you guys this story before, but I got to watch him in Jackson in double-A ball when he played for the Mariners, and every at-bat was a must-see at-bat. I feel like it was every one every nine at-bats, it was a home run. But you knew there was that downside that he was probably going to strike out a lot, you know, when he wasn't hitting home runs. So, But I felt like if he can get in a groove uh, and be comfortable in this rotation and get more A-Bs, the damage can be done. I mean, I really think that, you know, the John Mosaloc's face is on this. I mean, this is his, this is a huge gamble that he's going into the season with this. That, again, the the, the buzzwords here, maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe well, he's hamstrung by the people letting true. him spend the money, though. Well, that's true. And uh, he has job security, but so I don't think he feels be, any pressure. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. The other interesting, well, there's a lot of interesting things from Winter Warm-Up, but Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright stole the show again like they always do. That last day, everybody waiting for them to talk. Wainwright could have talked for a half hour, but they took him out of there in five minutes <laughs> to go sign autographs. But Yadier was pretty good, too, and, and the big headline, he wants to play beyond his contract in 2020. He's going to turn 38 in July, I believe, this, this season, but... I have no reason to doubt that he can physically do it. And honestly, he's putting up decent numbers as a catcher, and he's going to command that staff. So I'd give him another two years if he wants it. I think what you have to be worried about with Yadier Molina is can he make it through a whole season, you know? And can he be healthy for an entire season? He takes a lot of hits back there, and he gets hit a lot, you know, hits to the hand, thumbs. We've seen he has bad thumbs throughout the uh, past recent years so that's one of the biggest concerns but you do have to like that they signed Matt Wieters you know to, to keep well, him on the roster. got Matt Wieters and they've got Andrew Kisner. That, that, yeah but that was a good signing to get Wieters back because they could I'm not saying they will because Yachty wants to play every day but they could rest him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, at, Hopefully at, he'll at let him. Right. Yeah, well, that's the thing. <laughs> or when if Yachty gets, wants to play, it seems Yachty gets to play. Right. And, or if Yachty gets injured like he did last year, yeah. you've got somebody who can step in and right. technically not miss a beat. Yeah. Sure. Adam Wainwright also keeps saying he's taking it year by year. Most people thought last year was it, but he was really good coming back this year, and he's going to be counted on this year to be good. Uh, he's looking forward to that. I, we think this is it for him, right? He was really good at home last year. Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, that's a good. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. One would think this would be it, um, and one would think he won't be as good because he's another year older. But I don't put put anything past him. The guy is a competitor, and I think everybody wrote him off for last year. And like you say, he, he was very, very good at home. He wasn't just good; he was really good at home. 
his postseason starts were just awesome. Yeah. I mean, the Cardinals' offense couldn't help him out at all. No. But they were so cool. Him and Scherzer dueling in the NLCS was one of my favorite games of the year. I'll, I'll say this. Uh, th- there are very few people in all of sports that I root for harder. Every time he takes the mound, yeah. it's must-see TV for me. I-, I really want him to do well. There are very few athletes that are mentally tougher than Adam Wainwright is. Now, sometimes getting that message to go from the brain to your right arm may not <laughs> may not exactly work. But, you know, in my mind anyway, when, when he throws his final pitch, he's going to walk right into the Soundbite Hall of Fame. Oh, my <laughs> gosh, yes. Well, he, he could get a job as a color commentator no day one, no question. He's going to be leaned on pretty heavily now that Jose Martinez is gone because those were our two guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now we lost one of them. Uh, also some fun Cardinal stuff I want to talk about here. Uh, Hall of Fame-related stuff. Ted Simmons, of course, was already going in. Everybody's excited for that. But Larry Walker, it was announced when a wee, little over a week ago, I guess, since we're recording this on Wednesday, that he's going to join him, getting in on his last year of the ballot. I'm really, I'm really pumped because Larry Walker should have been in the Hall of Fame a little a while ago, I believe. When you look at the numbers and you just look at the impact he had as with as a five tool player, he gets taken away because he played in Colorado, which I don't think is fair. Because are we just never going to put a Colorado Rocky in the Hall of Fame? That doesn't yeah. seem right. Uh, but he, and it meant something, it meant a lot to him too. You could see in all the interviews he did, he was emotional. This whole thing was a strain on him, and he never really thought, I, even up to the last couple hours beforehand, didn't think it was going to happen. So I was just really happy for Larry. No question about it. I mean, you know, he made an he made an incredible debut here when the Cardinals picked him up. He struck out in his first bat, but got a standing ovation before and after he struck out. And you know, and he's another guy who was very good with the media. Uh, there was an episode, I think it was on Sunday Night Baseball. They were playing at Dodger Stadium, and he fielded a ball uh, down the right field line that he thought was foul. Expert. And flipped it into and flipped it into the into the crowd. When he was with Montreal, when he was with Montreal, and then he realized, well, wait a minute, that's a fair ball. So he gets the ball back and then throws it back into the infield. And I think he, you know, he made a he, he could have been really embarrassed, just oh, I don't want to talk about. It. He just laughed it off. It well, was great. And then the All Star game when uh, Randy Johnson actually let one get away from him and threw it up high, and Walker went into the other batter's box, put his helmet on yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, he was – I'm very happy for Larry Walker. Cardinal theme weekend in Cooperstown should be a lot of fun. Uh, Scott Rowland, also trending positive, his third year on the ballot. He was He's at 35% this year, which doesn't sound very good because you have to get 75%, but he was just at 17% last year. There's not going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer for at least another, like, four years. So and, he's and got there, some room there, there is no question that he is one of the best third basemen in Major League Baseball history. He may not be the best, yeah. but he's certainly in the top 10, 15, and just, that's a Hall of Famer. Just famous. because he's not Mike Schmidt doesn't mean Correct. he's not a Hall of Famer. Because when you look at it, he's statistically one of the 10 best. Right. I, it's, it's, I couldn't believe it, and he was my favorite player growing up. And then you look right. at the numbers, this guy's a Hall of Famer. And were it not for him, you know— Running into Hesop Choi down oh, yeah. the first baseline, yeah. he might have had a Mike Schmidt esque career. Yeah. yeah, there's no doubt that that shoulder injury took a little bit out of and, him. And Bill James, uh, who is kind of the guru um, of, of analytics, he says Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer, no question about it. The analytics helped Ted Simmons get in the Hall of For Fame. Sure, and I think they're going to help Scott Rowland get there too. 
All right, let's move on. Uh, I feel like we got to touch on this over the weekend. Uh, the Kobe Bryant news, uh, him and his daughter and the other passengers in that helicopter, that tragic helicopter crash. It's the only thing anybody's been talking about. Uh, he was the guy for, if you were watching basketball growing up in the in the 2000s, he was the guy, my age and a little older. Just what memories do, do we have when when uh, that we've been thinking back on over the the last couple of days, Mike. I don't. In 1997, the Lakers and Clippers played here. I yeah. think. Do you remember that at all? I mean, I remember it. I think. I don't. I don't think I went over there. I think we had Matt or Frank or somebody went over there because I had something else to do. I don't remember, but um, obviously, you know, he's he he was the type of basketball player who, uh, you know, I used the phrase earlier, must see TV. You just really wanted to see Kobe. And in and, and, and the same way Michael Jordan wanted the ball with the game on the line, Kobe wanted the ball with the game on the line. And it always seemed when the Lakers needed to win, you get it to Kobe and he knocks it down. Um, I, you know, it's just it's just such a tragedy. And, and um, you know, his, his uh, you know, his young daughter died. There were some great pictures that we were showing on the air. Um, she she apparently was a, an excellent basketball player too. So it's just it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. He was your guy, Ahmad. What you were yeah. like? You're a Lakers fan. He is. He was the reason I was a Lakers fan, and still am a Lakers fan. Uh, I was telling somebody the other day, I haven't quite watched basketball as much since Kobe retired. It hasn't been the same. Like seeing LeBron James in a Laker uniform, it's like I was so used to the comparisons of Kobe and LeBron. Who's better? You know, I got caught up in all that as a kid. That you know, it was a tough day for me. Um, definitely shed some tears. He he was a, the guy who made me think about when I was ready to give up in a workout or did I put in enough work, you know, did I need to go harder? And then you look at some of his sound bites where he would work, you know, from six o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock, go home, rest for two hours and come back and repeat that two or three times a day. And it just made you think there was always something more to give. So, um, that's what I took away from Kobe the most, and I apply that to my day-to-day work basis. And so when I see Frank Cusimano and Mike and all them running around and Andy doing all this great stuff for specials, it's like, all right, I got to find something. I got to find my niche, and I got to go do this well, you know, because he just don't want to take any days off. You know, life can't take life for granted. The the one story that, that I've seen about Kobe uh, that kind of resonates uh, was during one of the uh, Olympic years when he played for the U.S. national team, and he's— he felt like he needed a workout at 3.30 in the morning. Oh, yes, I remember this. He calls his tra- the, the guy that was training with him. He said, I need you to meet me at the gym. Okay, what time do you want to do it? Now. And so gets up in the middle of the night. He and Kobe trained for like four hours or whatever. Eight in the morning, the guy, the trainer goes back and you know tries to catch a few hours sleep before they have a, a, a practice, I think, at 1 p.m. So he shows up again at like noon. Kobe is there. Face, you know, sweat, you know, whatever. Hey, Kobe, how long you, you know, did you just get back or you're the? No, I wanted to get 800 makes in, so I've I've been at it since uh, since you left. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I remember that story. He, oh man, talk about digging uh, digging deeper, you know, to find out what's left in in your body. He definitely pushed you to that limit, that's for sure. I loved how ESPN replayed his last game. I watched oh, the replay because yeah. I remember watching that in real time, and it was like the Derek Jeter last game. You, this can't be playing out like this in the last. It's insane, just how everything lined up. That's had, that was my favorite memory. I had so, the biggest smile that night. I couldn't stop smiling at the. Somebody had the hypothesis that Kobe probably could have played longer, 
but chose not to because he was missing all this time with his daughters. And as we've found out, that was such an important part of his life. So it's almost like that last game was like, you know, I'm leaving. I'm leaving before I before I need to, but I'm yeah. going to show you that yeah. I still have it. All right, guys. One last thing on this episode: we do have a big game coming up this Sunday, the Super Bowl. What's in, that? <laughs> <laughs> the Super Bowl in Miami. And 20 years ago tomorrow, we're recording this Wednesday. That's Thursday. The Rams won their only Super Bowl title as the St. Louis Rams, and overall, because they haven't won one since. Uh, Andy and Mike, you guys were both in Atlanta 20 years ago today, prepping for tomorrow. Uh, just what what were you doing right now? Do you remember? Well, we were doing a lot of work for Channel 5, and I was also preparing to do the radio broadcast. That, that particular year, I was thinking back, it, it was extremely stressful. I, I put the stress on myself. Every Monday, I would start... Uh, memorizing the names of the other team that the Rams were going to play that day. And and I would try to memorize, you know, about 30 players. I didn't necessarily memorize the number of the backup, backup <laughs> offensive <laughs> linemen. But, you know, and then you fill out the charts and, and you got to – but then my our news director here never let whatever we had to do for Channel 5 go, so – if you remember, most of their games that year were at noon. I think all their games were at noon. Well, because they were they coming were off of 4-12 and 12, and 12, right. <laughs> the season. And so we would do Sports Plus. I would make it back in time to do Sports Plus. I think one time we did Sports Plus from San Francisco. But anyway, that, so that whole week. Hold on. So you would do a game on the road at noon and then fly back here to do Sports Plus correct. at like 10.30? Correct. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. All, all year long. I mean, it was it, that was what we did. And I, I would talk to Andy, and I said, well, I've got this pack. And I'd get back, and we'd do packages. And Anyway, but the, but the point is, is that that week we were live from the team hotel. Here's, here's one story I, I remember about that. <laughs> See, I knew I'd get him going, Andy. So Stan Kroenke was in the lobby right after we finished the 6 o'clock show. And he and I, at that point, had a pretty good relationship. He was the minority owner of the team and was very friendly. And and um, and I guess Josh was playing. He, he was either at Mizzou or he was a senior in high school, something. And Stan was going to fly back the next day to go see him in his plane, to go see him play and then come back. And he asked me if I would go, if I wanted to go with him, which, of course, I did, but I couldn't. I had too much work to do. And then I think of what happened with Stan Kroenke. That sounds insane. Blows, blows my mind. But we would do live shots from the team hotel. Um, you know, it, it was such an exciting time. And I, I just I just remember thinking going into that game that the Rams were going to win the Super Bowl. I think they were so good that year, and they were so exciting. And and one other thing that I think people should take a look at go 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 to YouTube. And and I want you to 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 look up any game from that from that year, any home game from that year, and I want you to listen to the crowd, and I want you to see what kind of football town this really is because no one, no one expected the Rams to be what they were. Um, but that crowd was so into every single game. It was one of those things where, you know, they talk about the, the, uh, the 12th man in, in Seattle. 
That's how it was. That crowd was into every game. People were thrilled every second. And it was so loud. It was a very tough place for people to set to, to play, other teams to come in and play. St. Louis is a great football time if you give them anything to work with. Yeah. I bet that Buccaneers game was pretty crazy. Oh, my God. And that was, you know, that was the Ricky Prohl catch. Yep. And, um, I, yeah. The whole season was it was just it was just a magical magical year and nothing that we we would expect. But I have to say personally, um, looking back on it is a lot more pleasant than when I was going through it. It's funny that he just gave all those stories about back in the day and what he was doing, and I, I was seven years old, and that that sparked my love for sports that year and the Rams that year. That got me. I got I signed up to play football the very next year, yep. and then I was in tune with the Rams. For the foreseeable future, and obviously it started going downhill. I, Super Bowl the next year after this, uh, two years after their original Super Bowl appearance, but everything went downhill. But you know that sparked my love for sports that year. That was really fun. To watch. I was at the parade, uh, five years old, at the parade with my mom and dad. <laughs> I remember that. I can tell you, they sent me home because I'd already racked up an ov- enough overtime <laughs> from the week. So I literally was watching the parade, turning over my, turning back over, looking over my shoulder as I'm headed to where my car was parked, as the parade is passing by down Market Street. But I can tell you that 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 the 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 most vivid memory I have of that of that Super Bowl year. Now you think it's a, you know it's a glamorous covering the Super Bowl and everything. Well, they they take the the TV media the day before they showed us where our space would be to where we could go live from after the game was over. So I went with the photographer so I would know where you know where we were going and stuff. Um, because as a producer, well, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to help lug equipment. So <laughs> <laughs> so what they do is they take you from that that press box. There uh, and it wasn't really a press box; it was seating in the stadium that was, you know, for the not a list media. So at the end of the third quarter, they take you down and you file down like like you're in a stockyard down underneath the stadium to to an area right by one of the one of the tunnels. And they had it, you know, they had the the fence, the temporary fencing up or whatever, and they had TV monitors. Um, so we spent the fourth quarter down there. So I saw Isaac Bruce's touchdown and Mike Jones tackle from a TV monitor <laughs> underneath the stadium. But as soon as the as soon as ABC got off the air, they removed the temporary fencing, and we all fanned out yeah. like it was a cattle drive <laughs> to get to our spot and, and waited for Mike to come down. And, and the difference between Andy's experience and mine, because I was doing radio, because that was pretty much my experience two years later uh, when when they lost. But doing radio, I walked into the radio booth that day, and I said, this can't be our booth. We were on the 50-yard line. <laughs> and I'm looking to my – the national radio is a little further down. The TV is in a – had their own, like, perch. Um, and I thought – the local radio station has a 50. I mean, literally, the we split the 50-yard line where I was standing. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and that's where I watched and called the, the How did the you Super get Bowl down game. to the field afterwards? As soon as we went off the radio air, 
I ran down to the field and we did Sports Plus Live. We did. <laughs> That's what we did. Well, and speaking of this cool. year's Super Bowl, I'm going with the team who compares to the best show on turf, and I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Now, Kurt, Kurt tried to make – well, Andy gave set Kurt uh, Warner up on an interview with that, and Kurt kind of gave it to him but wouldn't quite uh, go all the way Oh, there. no, he actually said he didn't think that the Chiefs were as good as the greatest show on turf, and we kind of had this discussion before, before we started – that they probably weren't, because in, in my eyes, the the one thing that the that the that the Chiefs don't have, they don't have Marshall Falk. No. no, he was the the engine of that team. As great as all those receivers were, they became a better team when they had Marshall Falk. Last but. thing here, what I'm looking forward to Super Bowl weekend is at least one of them, either Isaac or Tory, getting that knock on the door on Saturday night. That's what I'm looking forward to because one of those guys should go into the Hall of Fame this year. I think it's going to be Isaac. I hope it's at least one of them. If it's yeah. one of them, I think it will be Isaac. Yeah, I I would love. They to see both, both should be in the Hall of Fame. I think, yeah. both, but, but I, I, Isaac Bruce, you really he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame now. Yes, and it's going to be really hard to get two of them in in the same year. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just really keeping my fingers crossed. Game, for game Isaac. prediction. I think Kansas City is going to win. I'll go with Kansas City as well. It's a Kansas City sweep, so that means the 49ers are going to (laughs) win. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Sports Plus Podcast. Be sure to download and subscribe. Rate and review us, too, wherever you get your podcasts.